to feed my spirit. I was once a king. You are a specter from the gods. Walk with me. All right, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And for episode 18, we've got the lovely Ben Cronk. He opens up about his early life in Pittsburgh, serving a mission in Mozambique and Angola, and how he ultimately learned to accept life outside the church. And I think you guys will enjoy a lot of the advice and literary references he has to share throughout the episode. Um, once again, if you haven't already, please make sure to check out www.waityourmormon.com. You can find all of my episodes and social links, and it's very easy to use on a phone. Um, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please share a favorite episode with a friend or family member. I would really appreciate it, and hey, they might appreciate it too. But that's enough of me. Enjoy the episode. But just jumping into it, can you kind of introduce yourself for us? Yeah, my name is uh, Ben Crump. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and um, I'm one of four kids. I have three sisters, two older, one younger. And then my parents actually are converts to the church. Uh, whenever my oldest sister was, um, my mom was pregnant, my oldest sister. And uh, so my grandmother, my father's mother actually met the missionaries first and then introduced them to my parents my parents you know they were young whenever they first got married and then they separated and they got back together and so they were they wanted to be together but you know my mom had her history my dad had his history and they were trying to make something work that was everything was against them and then they met the missionaries and realized oh we can have like a common purpose here and we can raise our family here. And it kind of gave them that last puzzle piece to their relationship that um, could let it keep going. So that's what they did. They got baptized um, and my mom actually had to be dunked twice uh, because her belly, um, because she was probably my oldest sister, uh, stuck out of the water the first time. I like how sacred we talk about baptism. Yeah, right. Dunked her, man. Dunked her. Did it twice. You know I mean? yeah. It's not a sacred ordinance or nothing like that. But yeah, know, nothing like that. We're just dunking them. Uh, yeah, hold them down a little longer than than usual. Um, yeah. So, you know, growing up, my my father always had the phrase of no empty chairs, and that was like the biggest thing ingrained in our head was like in the celestial kingdom there'll be no empty chairs. All of us will be there together, sitting down, and. Uh, so that was something that you know we always grew up with. We had you know pictures of a chair, like just like a regular, you know those metal chairs that say LDS on the back of it. Like we just had like picture of one of those or something on our fridge to remind us like no empty chairs. And um, you know skipping ahead a bit, <clears throat> but I talked to my father um, later in life about my concerns with Joseph Smith, and you know he he, kind of, he didn't brush it off, but he he just said you know Ben. Personally, I don't know much about Joe Smith. I don't care much about Joe Smith. Um, he said, you know, whenever I joined this church, it was because I knew I could be with your mother um, forever past this life. They told me that I could, you know, be with my family forever. And that was the reason I joined the church. And, you know, I had to respect it um, because he knew why he joined the church and, 
you know, he, he had a, had a focus that, uh, he didn't have, you know, he didn't have to look into anything else. Cause he was like, you know, this is the thing that's going to make me stay with your mother, which, you know, impacted me a lot, um, growing up. But, um, you know, I did duty to God. I was a uh, Eagle Scout, all that kind of jazz. Um, in high school, that was only one of three uh, people in high school. Uh, <clears throat> I guess at various times, you know, there was probably like four with some older brothers whenever they were seniors or something like that, but no, they weren't part of my family. <laughs> and um, in, in high school, I was just a regular, regular high school kid wanting to fit in. Um, and, you know, I would, you know, quote unquote sin every once in a while. I would drink um, every once in a while. And then I would like repent and not take the sacrament for a bit. But then I felt like fine. And then all of a sudden I would do it again at some party. Um, but like my friends weren't super into drinking anyway. So it wasn't like a big thing in high school, but it was there. <clears throat> and I did partake whenever I did. Um, I had some girlfriends in high school and, you know, there was, you know, law of chastity things there, but nothing major. And, you know, I would repent and feel good about not taking a sacrament. And anyway, so at, and part of the reason, actually, I probably didn't talk to any bishops is like some of my friends from church, it was their dad uh, that was the bishop. And I was like, this is just weird to talk to him about anything at this point. And, um, you know, my father served as a bishop for eight years, too, while growing up. Um, his major thing was he had M&Ms in his office. Uh, which was like kind of a fun detail to remember of just going in there and eating M and M's every Sunday. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then every I Sunday? actually, oh yeah, every Sunday. Sunday you'd oh, yeah. just... <laughs> no, okay. we weren't we weren't that bad. We weren't that bad. We weren't right. that bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I really wasn't planning on going to Utah. My sisters went to BYU, and I went out to BYU growing up to drop them off and things, and I hated it. Like even as a young kid, I was like, this is just. A creepy place and I didn't like it and um and my sisters loved it uh one finished off there one finished off at another school I can't remember where um but then uh so I, I was just planning on just not going to BYU I was like and I also thought that was the only option in Utah mm -hmm. um, but then my cousin actually was like hey you should try Utah State University um and I was like, oh, I'll apply and see if I get in. But like, I'm planning on probably staying in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. um, and I applied and I got in and uh, I was very much, I would say it was a, a quote unquote spiritual experience to, after I got accepted, it just felt, oh, this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I told my friends, I'm like, yeah, I'm actually leaving Pittsburgh. I, this is the thing that I need to do. <clears throat> so, that's interesting. I hate to cut you off, but um, no, that's fine. Because I had a kind of a similar experience with uh, USU. So I ultimately went to the University of Utah. Um, but like very soon after I got home, um, this girl from Alabama like moved into the ward, uh -huh. and uh, we went on a couple dates, and it felt like pretty good. And then I knew she was going to go to USU after her mission. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. God is definitely God. telling me, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, to I gotta go to USU because we're yeah. about to get married. And that, yeah, I never like talked to her again, actually. Yeah. <laughs> on mission, so it only worked out. Um, but I did have a yeah. question um, just because I'm surprised. Like, uh, yeah. even just in Florida, like, like you said, there was only like three other Mormons in your high school, and like we had more than that. Yeah. Um, so, what was kind of the attitude toward the church in Pittsburgh? Um, it, 
towards the church in Pittsburgh, it really actually was the hub of basketball mm. um, for outside of like in the Pittsburgh suburbs. Like we would play basketball every single Wednesday night and non-Mormons and Mormons alike were just, everyone's bringing their coworkers, everyone's doing this. And it wasn't even like a proselytizing thing. It was just like, let's play basketball and swear words were thrown out on the court. Like it was, it was nuts, but it was, uh, you know, fights would break out sometimes. Um, so first off, that, that was probably the first impression of non-Mormons were like, oh yeah, that's the building that I go play basketball in and people go to church at, I guess. <laughs> were they weeded um, out by the carpet? in the in the court no we had we had full court oh, oh yeah. okay yeah, we yeah a little splurge <laughs> yeah all right yeah like, this is all um, we got to bring them in we got to really yeah they probably held on to some fast offerings mm -hmm. um just to just to turn into an actual court <laughs> but um yeah it was a it was a it was well received like it really wasn't a big thing there was a lot of service projects um but I don't think anyone really had like an opinion about it in mm. Pittsburgh. It was just like, oh yeah, Mormons. Okay. But in high school, you know, most people just know. I think at that time the big show was uh, it was like a Showtime or HBO HBO show. The big uh, sister sister wives big love. I think that was it. Something like that. Yeah. So a lot of people were like, so how many moms do you have? And I'm like, mm. only the one that picks me up from cross country yeah. practice. Like you you see her every day every day. <laughs> Still asking the question. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and you know, the, the, also the one, one family that was in my high school, the, um, I don't want to say their last name, but they, uh, they had a lot of children, like mm -hmm. nine, I believe. Yeah. They, so there was 11 in the family. So they were well known among the, our high school community, you know, and they're all very athletic, all very like well-known people. So, um, they were like, oh yeah, the, they're, they're Mormon too. I'm like, yeah. I'm part okay. of it. Okay, I go to church with them. But yeah, it was nothing, nothing weird. I guess. Yeah. I guess being from the south, you know, so many other churches there, they probably yeah, judged like, you. You guys are cults. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like all these crazy things, but um, that's interesting. But you, um, so did you end up going out to USU pre-mission? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I uh, graduated when I was like just I was one of those kids that was my birthday falls in August, mm -hmm. and so they pushed me a year whenever I really could have graduated in 2008, but I graduated in 2007. And so I had a year of school. Um, and uh, so actually I randomly went on a rooming board on USU's website and I found this room with these guys and, uh, um, and I moved in with them. And uh, they were still my best friends to this day, actually. So these three guys, uh, I can, I'll, I'll say their first names, but Landon, Brandon, and Spencer, um, they were all from Idaho, all trying to get prepared for missions. Mm -hmm. And, um, they, uh, yeah, they just accepted me as like one of their best friends whenever I moved in and it was great. It was one of the best years of my life, honestly. Um, but you know, I still, I didn't even think about a mission. I was, wasn't even, I was like, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, maybe later, I wasn't, I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't think about it much. I knew they were preparing and, you know, I went to church with them and, you know, cause I was still, you know, active and everything. So I went to church with them, but it was just like different backgrounds. You know, they were very, like they knew all their scripture masteries and things like that. And I had to go to seminary at 6 30 AM in yeah. the morning every day. And I wasn't, no way I was memorizing scriptures at 6 30 AM, you know? Um, so I felt like pretty intimidated by them, but they were just the nicest guys. Um, and uh 
but I did sign up for an institute class, but I didn't want to take uh, like a weird one, mm-hmm. like a real. So I did world religions, mm-hmm. which is like one time a night on a Tuesday night at a, if anyone knows um, Logan's listening, uh, the purple driveway church uh, had it. And so I would go there and, um, and actually, so one night I didn't go for the longest time. And then one night I did in October and they were, you know, lo and behold, the world religion they were talking about that night was Mormonism. So they went through like all the history and Joseph Smith, um, which I know now was not actually correct what they were talking about, but you know, how they presented it. Um, and I felt, I can say that I felt something very, very strong. Um, to the point of, of tears and they asked for a volunteer to do the closing prayer and I, my hand shot up and I was not really big into, you know, mm-hmm. saying prayers in church voluntarily. And, um, but I did and in tears and I could hear other people sobbing. It was like a very weird, but like great experience. And um, I left the building and thank the teacher and uh, called my mom and I said, mom, I think I'm going to go on a mission. And she starts crying and I'm crying on the phone, walking back to my place. And that's whenever I decided to go on a mission. So that was October. And then I started my papers in January. And whenever that October happened, like I went to my bishop and I was like, look, this is everything that happened in high school. This is why I got cleared up. I just got to go on a mission. And uh, he was like, "Uh, you're fine. Like, you're living your life okay now like just continue to you know repent or whatever and you're okay so that felt nice um uh yeah but one of the actually a, a weird story um is that in may of the next year so i put in my papers and i was going to get my call in june um and in may i was long boarding around campus mm-hmm. and actually fell and broke my wrist oh. um and x-ray and everything shows like one of my bones in my wrist was just like shattered mm-hmm. and like cut off. And they were like, this might delay your mission um, because you have to have this on for probably like six months. And I actually had to have a cast where my like wrist was up, um, which was a little weird, but three weeks later it was healed. Um, so that was interesting. <laughs> they like, a lot of uh, commonalities. Cause like you mentioned an August birthday. Yeah. Birthday is August 27th. Oh, nice. I'm we 30th. Both, we both served in Africa. And right. also, like, six weeks before my mission, I fractured, I forget the bone in the wrist, but it's, like, the one piece that, like, is very hard to heal because, like, the blood flow yeah. isn't getting there. <laughs> you know I believe about? that's the exact one that I broke, too. Yeah. 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 Um, my friend was like, yeah, let's go bomb some hills. And I was like, that sounds fun to me. And yeah. I just, just ate it and just fractured that thing. And then I had to get uh, had the cast, but they cut, like, a square into it. Where you put like ultrasound oh, gel in there, and then it was like the, some weird machine that would like direct blood flow. Yeah, I want to say it was called like a scabular. I can't remember what it was, but it's some yeah, weird. Yeah, I don't think I quite had that treatment yeah. in the wrist, but I'm just like, oh, geez, what a weird. Yeah, that's life, that is life a weird. <laughs> shit, I'm thinking, you know. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, somehow our wires crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so three weeks later, he was like, I don't know how this happened because this was your x-ray before. This is your x-ray now. Um, but just keep a brace on it and be careful. And it was healed. Um, but yeah, so I got my call and I was called to Mozambique uh, Maputo mission. Um, and 
at that time, I did not know it included Angola, and it actually didn't include it in that time. Um, but they're both Port Portuguese-speaking African countries, and but yet they're, you know, the capital city. The capital city is like San Francisco to New York. Mm. So, and there's countries in between. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, I was I was called to Mozambique, and I went through the temple in August, and then I went in uh, to the MTC in September. Um, but the temple experience in August was real weird. Uh, I didn't like it, mm. definitely, for my first time. And, like, my dad kind of warned me. He's like, it's a little different. Mm. But he's like, you know, you're going to be sitting right next to me. Just do everything that I do. And, like, you're cool. And so, and I was actually pretty okay with everything. Um, well, I thought it was weird, but, like, I wasn't, like, running out of the building. Mm -hmm. um, actually, into, I don't know how 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 into temple experiences do you want me to i'm not going to get in like oh very it's up, deep, it's up but, to you um but... well, there's a part there's a part in the temple that uh you go through a veil at the end mm -hmm. and someone's there and you have to tell them certain things to get through the veil and they represent god mm -hmm. and that felt very wrong to me and it like hit me to my stomach core whenever the whenever the the speaker or the announcement comes over the thing that says you know this person represents god i was like can can someone do that like can can someone actually speak as god like i i would imagine that like if there was a 12 apostle or a prophet i would would, would have been like cool with it mm. but like it was just a regular temple worker and i was i felt very uncomfortable and i turned to my dad and i said i don't know if i could do it and uh he actually was like no like it's fine just like i'm going to be standing right next to you and so um yeah so i got through but that was like one of the first things that just made me feel very weird uh and then a whole bow your head and say yes and then everyone yeah. goes yes and you're like what yeah. <laughs> why is everyone sounding like a sad robot um, i feel like i was just too like anxious and nervous to ever feel fully weird in the temple because, like, the whole time I'm in there, I'm just like, all right, remember how to tie your shit on the hat on correctly. Oh, yeah, remember how yeah. to put this thing on correctly. It's about to come yeah. up. You don't want to look like – because I had had um, – I went on a trip to Orlando, like, a little bit before I went. And so it was the first time I was able to go through by myself. And I was like, I think I got this. And then I just, like, held up the whole process. Oh, cause of I course. Really yeah, so you're yeah, scarred. Because I just really fumbled it. And so every time after that, I was like – Don't you love the guys who just, like, like – sprint to the finish yeah of, i can sit down first mm -hmm. like and you know they're thinking that too yeah. well the <laughs> like, temple worker that was helping me was just like ah, really man like i yeah. gotta walk all the way to the back there and help you with this and then everyone's just sitting there looking at you like yeah or like yeah. the the person would be like hey hey yeah. it's wrong and you're like yeah. oh, okay and you're like trying to adjust it whenever you're sitting down mm -hmm. and trying not to stand up mm -hmm. yeah i was uh i went through you said you went through the temple 2011 2011 yeah yeah so i went through whenever it was like still the 80s movies mm -hmm. and i don't know if 2011 actually was whenever it changed it might have been later than that but i, I think it was there it was a pretty new version at that yeah. time because people were um, talking about it but yeah the the 80s movies ones were so entertaining they were uh i was like are we all are we just we're just pretending like we're just watching this 80s movie and nothing's weird about it <laughs> but no but in the in the, in the end i sobbed my eyes out and hugged my mom for like 30 minutes in the slash mm -hmm. room and it was it was you know kind of solidified that um but yeah so mtc uh was great 
I was like made district leader if that actually means anything in the MTC. Um, I'm impressed. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I could tell. Uh, yeah, so um, district leader. And the only weird thing about the MTC was um, we had one one kid. Uh, I, I, I think it's fine to say his last name was Spencer, but he lived like two blocks away from the MTC mm. and he had a girlfriend forever that lived three blocks away from the MTC. And so, you know, that like field we could go to past that. I don't. I've driven by. Oh, yeah, you see, but they, uh, yeah, they, they yeah. send it, they send us straight over there because we, yeah. it was English speaking, so we didn't have right. to learn anything. So, yeah, so, uh, but there's a field that you kind of go and hang out in or whatever. And, um, and he would like, his like girlfriend would come and see him mm. like underneath a tree. Like they wouldn't like touch like, her. Like anything. a weird prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then also at the same time, like all of us were just like, you know, like Corona, Corona, like, you know, you just like, you just like wanted to call the person out, you know, mm. um, cause you're just weird noobs in that, you know, state and you just want to be as obedient as possible. Um, and so I was like, you know, I don't, I don't remember who assigns the stuff, but I was like put with him because he was like the troubled one. He's like, mm. he was fine. He was actually really cool. Yeah. And like, he was just like, you know, he, she just lives so close by. Mm. Couldn't we see each other? And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of sounds logical. Um, but yeah, so then I was, you know, learned Portuguese and went to my mission in November. And uh, I actually spent the first night in the mission home um, and had a wet dream, which was the very first night, the very first night in the mission home, Ooh, wow. sleeping on the floor with a bunch of like the people that arrived with me around. And I woke up at like 6 a.m. just like, oh, shit, oh, shit, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? It was the most <laughs> embarrassing and like shameful yeah. experience of my life probably oh, <laughs> obviously wow. not but you know i like had to run to the bathroom and like change my garments and mm -hmm. everything i was like oh my god what just happened but you know i went you know the whole entire time without anything yeah. so you know my body has to take care of itself um but yeah so that was a fun fun tidbit of my first night in uh, mozambique <laughs> um but yeah so i was put with uh you know, a, a Portuguese guy at first, and he was a little rough around the edges, but he was fine. You know, I learned um, he wouldn't speak to me at all in English. So that was probably a good thing because he, you know, forced me to um, speak Portuguese. Um, was he then, um, like from Portugal, Portuguese? Yeah, Portugal, Portuguese. Okay, so you were, um, your trainer was like teaching you like the most proper. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hawking, I'm, I'm hawking up phlegms in yeah, the back of my throat, okay. and saying my R's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he he was like he, he was definitely he was like a year and some in and he was definitely not caring too much mm. he he had his like favorite families mm. and that he would like go visit and i just like tagged along yeah but at the same time i was like i'm so green and also don't understand what's going on so maybe mm. this person's like gonna get like baptized or listen to something mm. um and we had our we had our troubles like he would get pissed at me for like various reasons and i'm like sorry dude i didn't know like this was such a touchy subject mm. but um but you guys were able to like, communicate like pretty well even like pretty early no like, no at the, was... at the beginning no but like a week into it he's like i speak english and then he like oh, okay english just fine yeah. um and uh and we were fine for the most part we had our troubles here and there like especially because you know he, he didn't really want to like get up and study and i was like you have to get up and study you know mm. so i like felt like it was my duty to be like hey like i'll read with you or i'll study with you or like i'll read like right next to his bed or something <laughs> like, i was such a jerk but uh 
like I mean, not even a jerk. I was just a newbie, just trying to stay obedient. Were there other um, missionaries in that first apartment, or was it just a two? Yeah, person? there was four of us, and uh, the other two guys were they were zone leaders, uh-huh. and they were my favorite people in the world. They were so cool, and I thought they were the coolest dudes ever. Really, they were just like twenty-one-year-old dudes that, yeah, you know, at any other time I probably would have met them. But I know, like, I, I really like him, actually. Um, still follow one of them on Instagram, and uh, he's a cool cat. But, um, yeah, so I was with him for, I think, uh, two transfers, and then my next two transfers, I was with uh, I was with a Brazilian who definitely didn't actually speak English, mm-hmm. and so I got his Brazilian Portuguese. Um, and Mozambique is cool. Uh, it's a real poor, poor country, uh, definitely um, on the side of, like, you know, whenever you, you, you definitely know, like, you know, you come back and people that served in different countries in Africa mm. are just like, oh, they're such humble, poor people, yeah. just such humble, poor people, you know, it's, it's a just simple a phrase. life, yeah. but they, they like really were, but also they were like the most resilient people out there. Like one of the people we were teaching, <laughs> one of the people we were teaching, she had a baby in her house on her own by herself mm. and then walked the mile to the clinic with the baby like right after she had the baby oh wow and you're just like oh this is just a different world yeah. like this is just something new like the like these people are just they just know life more and i respected that i think more than anything i was just like i am so privileged i'm and gonna assume so, uh, you have to like fetch water sometimes and like carry the big pail like on your head do you ever do anything so actually like at the beginning the beginning i was in the zone leader house and they had actual like running water mm. um and we were in this like little neighborhood honestly um and then in mozambique it's it's pretty established except if you get out like in the in the we were right outside the city and then my with the two i was i was actually in the same place for four transfers um and uh and then once you get in the city you're in an apartment mm. and um so i I didn't experience outside of Mozambique um, till like the village life till later. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna front. I, we we had yeah. running water too, like when it was on and when power was yeah. down and stuff. But uh, you know, you'd help people carry water and stuff sometimes. Yeah, to try to like appreciate yeah. yourself. But like, it's really difficult. And then you yeah, see women like, doing it like not no problem with babies on their backs and stuff like that. Babies on their backs and their necks are so, so strong. strong. Like they just they have traps for days. And you're like, I'm such a like in these ill-fitting white yeah. shirts looking like a noodle. People are laughing at me. I'm spilling, yeah. like, tipping it back and forth. Yeah. You know yeah. So I, mean, I can't imagine yeah. having to like have a fresh baby and just doing all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, she was really impressive. Um, and uh, but anyway, so I was with him for another two, I believe. Um, but I, I went to my mission two thousand eight, two thousand ten. So this is like a long memory mm-hmm. back. I'm trying to remember exactly how many transfers. But so after that, actually, I was put into the city with. Uh, I didn't train, but he was right. He was right in his um, second transfer, mm-hmm. and I still like I was with Portuguese speakers, but I wasn't great. All I could do was mm-hmm. the lessons. I couldn't speak literally outside that Mm. like maybe for food but conversational portuguese was not there Mm. um it was all uh just um just lessons and stuff but anyway so i was put with this kid and we were just like well we both suck um because 
you know, I'm the best Portuguese speaker here, mm -hmm. uh, which isn't saying much. And you are on your second transfer, which is like not saying much mm -hmm. for your Portuguese. But we had fun together and we were like, you know, we're just going to try. We, it was almost like fun to be like, we're so bad at this. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, and then actually at that point, um, we got word that Angola, the country was opening up mm -hmm. and um they sent four missionaries to Angola uh, to meet the members that were already there. Um, and they were thinking about sending more. Mm -hmm. And um, I was actually selected six months into my mission wow. to do that, to be part of that and second you can wave. barely speak Portuguese conversation. Yeah, yeah, conversationally wasn't there at all. Yeah. Um, but actually, like it was, I don't, you know, we can call it a godsend. But once I got there, you know, I had a really good companion. Um, I told him I was going to be on here and he's like, I can't wait to listen to this. Um, but he was uh, like, anyway, I, I, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll digress real quick. But yeah, so I was sent there with um, like three other guys. And so there was eight of us. And um these guys whenever you arrived um do you ever watch like band of brothers yeah on actually. hbo or anything mm -hmm. so like you know those like new soldiers as you like walk they're like walking to the front line mm -hmm. and the front line soldiers walking Coming back, back yeah. like yeah we like arrived there just so happy we're like oh we're gonna convert the whole entire country and there's only a few of us we're so far away from the mission home like this is our time to fucking shine and uh we get there and all of them are one has malaria at the time another one is like just such a jack missionary in general the other other ones were mozambicans that they were just loving seeing like a different country mm. and it was just like what did we just walk into um and then that whole entire angola is an interesting country uh because um they, one of the biggest, they're very prideful. Um, so, you know, how I mentioned that like humble, poor culture doesn't apply to Angolans. Um, they are badasses. Uh, they usually, like they're physically bigger mm -hmm. than Mozambicans and most Africans that I've ever met. Mm -hmm. um, they, you know, they actually have an Olympic basketball team uh and they usually you know usa always wins but they're usually within well. middle competition yeah um because they're just larger in stature for some reason um and they actually joined the civil war forced the portuguese out with machetes oh. and so they are very prideful in their country they're very prideful in their heritage they're very prideful people in just being like we're badasses and who the fuck are you? Mm. Um, and uh, sorry if I'm swearing too much, but yeah, you saw me grimacing. <laughs> hey, cut it back. On, <laughs> I know this is going out to kids' primary lesson, um, but yeah. So you know, whenever we got there, the first night, my companion and I, his name was Elder Bell. Um, my companion and I got, we we went to a, a gas pump to fill up the truck that we had and um it's a gas line always in angola um so we had to wait like the longest i've ever waited on my mission was i believe nine hours for gas mm. um because they ran out of gas yeah. and we were already in the line we couldn't like leave because we needed gas and we just sat there literally all day waiting for gas 
Um, but this time it was like only two hours, I think. <laughs> and uh, we get to the pump and I don't remember what the altercation was because I was in the I was in the driver's seat and I see him like get back in the car and then some dude run to the front of the car, open it up and just punch him straight in the face. <laughs> and he's just, and I am, yeah, punches my companion oh my right God. in the face. And he's just like, drive, drive, drive. And I'm in complete shock. And uh, he's like, drive. And so finally my, my mind kicks in and we get out of there, but he got a nice uh, punch to the face and, I guess the guy was just impatient waiting for the pump but because we were filling up some gas tanks for generators and stuff. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, I guess he was a little impatient and my companion was probably like, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they hate Portuguese people. Like at least the ones, you know, I, I don't want to generalize the whole entire population, but you know, the white Portuguese people, they were mm -hmm. like, we don't, we don't yeah. appreciate you here, you know, colonizers. And mm -hmm. so Whenever they, you know, people find out that we're American, we're on better terms, but they just assume we're they, Portuguese okay. in the first so place. They actually assume yeah. you guys are Portuguese. Wow. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised. That was a little bit of just a, yeah. you know, you know, punch back. No, um, I do have to ask. Like, yeah. So they just sent you out there, basically, as like an experiment. Did they give you a game plan? That's exactly. <laughs> like, all right, first day you're gonna go here. Then within this week you need to contact this person this person this person or they're just like yeah all right go you, there's this building and then free for all or what um well this is what's interesting so our uh, mission we had one mission president and then a different mission president um our first mission president was very just like this is what you're doing there's people there they were baptized in portugal they've started a church years ago they baptized their friends at this point and now there's two branches um, with no missionaries at all. And they've been begging for missionaries, I guess, for years. Mm. Um, and they just decided to attach this to the Mozambique Maputo mission because surprise, surprise, Angola is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. Mm. Um, it, it has some of the greatest resources there. Um, and, um, you know, during the Cold War, the CIA and the Russians um, actually fought a hot war in the middle of angola um i remember i forget what the book is called but there's a book about it but you know there's different countries that you the us and russia kind of fought it out on and mm -hmm. around the world and angola was one of those for resources and stuff and um it one of the, the inflation is just off the charts like i one of the my one of my earliest memories there is a guy pushing a world barrel of one dollar bills american one dollar mm -hmm. bills down the road and they were just like flying off the side and no one like cared because their money is just like and the dollar is just worth shit yeah. there like because it's just but yet like they want to get paid in american dollars mm -hmm. um but like it's just inflation is off the charts there um so uh it was you know diamonds are a big thing there so it's a very corrupt country um and i think that's the reason why the church at the beginning was like we'll just connect this to a mission mm -hmm. and then they'll like send it out to you know see what happens basically and um so what i meant to say was our second president um was a little bit more th more forthright and being like oh no you guys are test rats like you guys are seeing if you, you can survive basically and that this is viable for a mission because we know how terrible it is there and corrupt and all that kind of stuff um but that kind of uh kind of circles around um so 
Elder Bell and I, our whole entire purpose there was actually to get visas for more missionaries to come over. Mm -hmm. And the whole visa process is, you know, like I just said, is corrupt. (laughs) So we would actually travel with about $30,000 in um, cash in Kwanzaa, which is the the, the currency over there, um, in a lockbox. And we would pick up this very old lady um, who was Mormon, uh, and uh, she was the nicest old lady, but also wouldn't take shit. So we used her to basically jump lines and to get to the visa office and try not to pay pay bribes mm-hmm. through this lady like yeah. if we showed up they would be like mm, we can't do it mm-hmm. and they would like ask for bribes and so this lady would be our proxy mm-hmm. to try to give visas for missionaries into the country and we but she did everything on her own time so we would like pick her up at nine but she would be like come in and have soup first mm-hmm. and then would like we would chill with her for like two hours and she was like okay i'm ready to go and we're like okay well you know we have lessons to teach too <laughs> um but uh she was great um but anyway we you know long story short with that we couldn't get visas um for missionaries and we were all on i think 40 or 60 day visas um and for the 40 or 60 day visa was coming up for uh two of the missionaries and they were also going home like they were on their last legs and so um two of those missionaries left and then i was put with two one of the two mozambicans there and then we tried to get visas it just wasn't happening um and it got to the point where you know i was talking to the president and just being like this is like we don't want to pay bribes but they're not giving visas so what do we do um, and there's a whole entire story, but I won't, you know, for time-wise, I won't get into it. But it got to a point where those Mozambicans left, and there was only four of us in the country, and because their visas ran out, and ours was running out, but it was, you know, Angolans just take holidays. The government takes holidays whenever the hell they want to. Um, and our visas were running out at a certain point, and I knew that it was dropping on a holiday. Hmm. Um, and... I, they promised me two different times they would give me the visas. And right before the holiday, they gave me a visa with signatures for all of us. So all four of us apparently had a visa that was going to last for a year. Um, and I was so happy. I was, a you know, at this point, you know, almost 20 years old. Um, or, yeah, I was still 19. But I was in charge, like the pressure that was put on me was to get visas so that we know how to get more missionaries into the country. And I was completely in charge of that after Elder Bell left. Um, and uh, and then the Mozambique, the Mozambique missionary left and it was just me with another missionary. And um, I, I was like, we got it. Oh, my God. I, I, mean, I didn't say, oh, my God, but <laughs> we did it. And uh so they said all you have to do is after this holiday come back and you know we'll start the process for other visas so i go back and see the same person and they look at the visas and goes we never signed this and i'm like this is your signature i was standing right here and he goes we never did 
He's like, these are fake. These are fraud, actually. Um, you can go to jail for this. And they, they said, your visa expired six days ago. And it is a penalty of like, I don't know, 600 some dollars for every day that your visa has expired. And I was just dumbfounded. Uh, and they were like, you have to pay us this amount of money right now or you guys are going to jail um, within the next 24 hours. And uh, I called my mission president and I was like, they want a significant amount of money, tens of thousands of dollars, like US dollars. Yeah. Um, and he's like, we're not paying that. And he's like, we'll get you guys out tomorrow. And so they got us a plane and flew out the next day. And I did have to pay whatever petty cash I had, which was like 30 some thousand dollars. The absurd absurd amount of money um for the days we were expired but they was their holiday so like mm. you know it, i was like trying to argue that anyway and this is all in portuguese and luckily at that time i could speak probably visa language and church language about the same mm. in portuguese at that point um so I, I wasn't too worried about that but it was uh it was really rough and i felt very guilty mm. that i failed this whole entire country yeah. that I failed these two branches. And, you know, at the same time, I was like, yes, this is out of my control, but you know, I just felt terrible. Um, and then they were stripped of missionaries, um, for, uh, close to six months. I wrote down the time. So that was, Oh, so that was April. So April to August, we had to return to Mozambique. Um, and I was put, in you know a different place and i just hard, it was hard for me to concentrate because i cared about angola so much i loved it i loved how hard it was i loved how prideful people were i loved how like the, the challenge of it was a lot of fun but it, it just beats you down and i just but i wanted to go back really bad um but anyway long story I, you know I, I can't even say that anymore but um they uh i was on a phone call with portuguese lawyers i was on a phone call uh with a lot of 70 president i mean uh, elder holland was on the call um all for me to speak about what happened and these portuguese lawyers were calling the embassy in mozambique like, excuse me excuse me uh the angolan embassy in mozambique and they were like you know this is what you guys did like we're not paying this amount of money how dare you and they were like okay and we had a list of like 10 missionaries and they like the church demanded because of the malfeasance to give all 10 of these missionaries visas and they were like no we'll give three and my name was in that three um and uh and um there was three of us that were selected out of that 10 i was part of it and two other missionaries uh one mozambican guy and uh another american guy and i were selected and um they said those three can go back and in six months the rest of them can go. Mm -hmm. And so this was the decision my president had to make was, all right, so there's three. Is it a three companion um, in, mo in, in the capital city of Rwanda? Or do we split you up and see if we can get a member missionary for those months? And my, um, my mission president, actually, they flew, he flew out with us three and was like, um, and took me aside the night before he left us and said, Ben, you're going to be the one that is with a member missionary. And, uh, 
he goes, and you're going to probably have to do this for six months um, without a companion, but with like a member missionary. And so they had one guy. And um, so anyway, we were back in Angola and I was as happy as can be. I didn't care. I was just like, I'm, I'm back. Like, it was great. Um, and most of the people we were teaching in Angola were referrals because there were so many members mm -hmm. that they were like, oh, you have to talk to this person. You have to talk to this person. You have to talk to this person. And um, so that was, it made our life a lot easier. Um, and we would talk to people on the street every once in a while whenever, you know, people were curious about us. But uh, one of the biggest things was referrals there. Um, and uh, the, the, the three of us looked at a map the night before and Angola is an interesting or Luanda is an interesting city because during the civil war everyone ran to Luanda from other cities and uh, a, a city that was built for about two million people um, all of a sudden had about like six million people in the size of a two million size city and um, it was nuts how crowded it was and so there's this one road that kind of divides the city and um we looked at each other and we looked at a map we're like well you know elders do you have that half i have this half and i was like i have three million people to talk to <laughs> and uh and then the member missionary that was there his name was cordencio he was a great 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 guy um but he definitely was on the specter uh, the spectrum and he had tourette's and he was like 40 something years old and he was so excited to be a member of missionary but at, it, i think because he volunteered at the chance mm -hmm. but he has like a whole entire life yeah. um and so he would like walk with me and then sleep at the apartment like maybe three days a week and then the rest of the time i was alone in the apartment or i would have to like go teach a lesson on my own yeah. and I had a computer, um, so I communicated with emails uh, with the president pretty much every day because he wanted me to check in every day, um, see how things were going. The other missionaries were good with traffic because of how many people were in the city. An hour to two hours of a drive or a taxi to get over to see them. So we never saw each other. We'd see, we would not see each other for, we tried to see each other on P-Day but we were so freaking busy of people to talk to. And because the members were there, we're like, well, it's just you three. Like we're going to use you. Mm. And uh, so we hardly even took P day. Um, I would actually have to get up earlier on P days to write my family. Um, Cause by 7am we were out like not even study time. And, you know, I told my, like told our president, like we don't even have time to study. And he's like, just do what you got to do. And, you know, we would, you know, and I would, I would usually, especially in those times whenever I was alone, I'd usually try to call a member and be like, Hey, like, can we just go to this appointment together? And, um, and we usually, you usually worked out, but sometimes I was just teaching alone. I was coming home alone. It was, I was alone the whole, like for pretty much five months and Cordencio would be there, but he is so excited by the church that he would, not kind of understand that like <laughs> we have referrals and we have appointments and just talk to everyone um which like good on good on them but at the same time i'm like we gotta go we gotta yeah. we gotta go and um but anyway so that was my time in angola um well i know it's a long-winded but there's a whole different section to the end of angola right, I can go into. um 
what is i guess people's reaction i obviously you said people kind of confused you guys for like portuguese folks um is angola overall like a very christian nation do they just respect missionaries just because you're missionaries no they they have a lot of evangelical brazilian um religions uh or like uh christian religions like a lot of these uh loud evangelical ones that came over from brazil a lot of them belong to that but like catholic wasn't quite there um but the my elder bell um one of the first thing he said to me he's like these people are lawless and godless and we just have to love them (laughs) and i'm like what's going on (laughs) Um, it makes it sound like extra dangerous than it already sounds then yeah like the police are correct we had our we had our passports um stolen by a cop um i kept a whole entire thing of like knockoff snickers in my car uh in my truck that we had um just so i could bribe the cops uh because they wouldn't leave you alone um i saw a man shot about 10 15 feet away from me from a policeman that just didn't like him apparently and saw him get shot in the he chest, which was pretty. You should have had a Snickers. Pretty, you, you had a, <laughs> this was my fault. Actually, I should have gave him the Snickers. <laughs> um, I saw you know dead bodies sticking out of trash piles. Oh, you know, it was a it was a very very crazy third world city. But the thing is, is that the the wealth. Um, difference there is nuts the very wealthy people are the ones that work for the government mm. and you'll you'll go into some places and you're like this is here I'm, you just are shocked by how beautiful it is and because also the big thing there is uh, oil so there's actually a lot of expats that work for oil companies mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you'll be you'll pass this gate and look in and it looks like some cul-de-sac in indiana and you're like oh this is where all the oil people live and um yeah it's it's a weird weird place i encourage everyone to go (laughs) i might pass for now (laughs) yeah uh, but um so you went in very gung-ho and then you ran into all of these just crazy setbacks you see all this stuff so like was this ever like a shelf like adding experience for you or was it actually like spiritually like uh i don't know i can't even think of the word but you know what i'm trying to say it actually bolstered your spirituality no it really did um i think what's interesting about it is that i was very easy to accept i think in that time um the way that i described it i wouldn't describe it exactly that now but the way i described it then was god knew me he knew I couldn't have a cookie cutter mission. Mm-hmm. He knew that I struggled to, you know, really believe a lot, but was like fine doing it. And he just, I think he, you know, at that time, I would say that I think he knew that I needed something wild and crazy mm-hmm. and would give me purpose. And this was wild and crazy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I actually liked, it gave me more reason to obey uh, and be faithful to my calling as a representative of Christ at that time. Um, uh, because I didn't have to follow a white book mm-hmm. and I didn't have to study every morning. 
I could use my computer every single day. I actually talked to my dad pretty much every morning um, over, we would like text over email. It's mm -hmm. so like, hey, like I'm heading out for the morning. Just want to say I'm still okay. Mm -hmm. And I told my president that I was doing that. And he's like, that's good. You yeah. know, it's probably a good thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, especially like hearing the emails, I would send home to them as much as I would like try to sugarcoat things. It just wasn't, they were worried. Um, and so I really liked the independent part of my mission mm -hmm. because I was like, this is what I'm dedicating my life to for two years. I got nothing else. I just got to do it. And, uh, and honestly, I was scared to disobey also. Um, there was a lot of fear that if, you know, you know, I was by myself, mm -hmm. you know, you're a 20 year old man, you want to touch yourself. Like, it's just a natural thing. And, you know, a lot of people probably call BS on this, but for two years, I did not touch myself because I was afraid I would be killed in Angola, honestly. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, if I do something wrong, like, this place is so wild mm -hmm. that, like, I brought this upon myself. Um, and, you know, in Cordencio, or my, my member missionary, whenever he would stay there, I would catch him uh, in the middle of the night, like, bopping back and forth in the corner reading the book of mormon out loud and i'd wake up and he's like demons are around us and i'm like oh, are they i'm gonna go back to bed but it was just like there was just this air of you know obviously you know whenever you're in that mormon mindset they're like oh the devil doesn't want or satan doesn't want this church to start here yeah. you know and so like you really think in your head like i am doing i am like the beginning of something mm. and especially whenever i went back and it was just three of us i was in i was by myself i was like i have to be perfect mm. or at least close to it um that for for me to understand you know to you know who to teach what to talk about feel okay by myself sleeping outside i mean sleeping you know um by myself you know it just was i i just had to be obedient or else mm. uh you know, it wouldn't, I could have died, I thought, you know, yeah. And you actually very well could have, that's like the craziest part, you know? Yeah, the craziest those, part. Those are very Possibly. Valid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's wild. Yeah. If, um, if you don't mind, this is definitely going to run a, lo a little long. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll get through it here. Um, real quick, though, I so end of my mission. But I'm, um, I'm into it. Does okay, that, cool. that's I hope moment. everyone else is. Yeah, like, this not... is probably going to be a little longer of one. <laughs> Yeah. standard episode um yeah so after those five months i actually was successful um, in getting visas for other people and other people came in and then i was like oh great i get to see other missionaries and i get to be around people and then i get a call from the president it was like you actually have to go to a city like 10 hours away um to start the church there uh with this angolan missionary um, who's one of my favorite people, Jamba was his name. Um, and so we got on a plane and flew to a place called Lubangu in uh, Angola. And there was two members there. Um, they were both Portuguese. And this place was 100% different than Luanda. They were Christian, uh, very Catholic. It just wasn't a, a you know major city and it was a beautiful place inside this i actually describe it as cash valley because mm -hmm. it's inside this valley with mountains all around snow-capped mountains actually oh, it's wow. really gorgeous 
Um, and then that that's where I finished off the rest of my uh, mission. And I actually, so whenever I went back to Mozambique, um, I trained somebody in that in that in between time, and uh, and then he was actually sent to kill me on my mission. Um, so I was companions with him twice. Oh, and so like a plot from was, your mission president? Like yeah, <laughs> he was uh, he was a lot better the second time, mm -hmm. but he was really good the first time. But it was a lot more fun yeah. after he was like a still like a little more more experienced. Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's cool to finish out with somebody you have kind of an established relationship with. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it, it worked out great. Mm. Yeah, and then you just never talked about any of that with anybody after you got home. Oh yeah, no, not really. I I also felt like a dick talking about it. Um, I didn't want to be the guy at Utah because I went back to Utah State. I didn't want to be the guy that's like, well, listen to my mission, mm -hmm, yeah. you know. And like, I didn't have a companion for five months, or like, you know, I just didn't want to be that guy. Um, I would just say that like, oh yeah, I like helped establish a mission in a country. Mm. It actually did wasn't established as a mission for another two years after that, which is crazy to yeah. think. Um, but uh, yeah, so I went back to USU, roomed with those same guys. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just life. I was really happy. I was really happy with my mission. And whenever I was done with my mission, I was done with my mission. I like knew I served my purpose and whenever I said, yeah, this is over. It was over. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about, you know, having dreams. I haven't had one dream mm -hmm. about returning on my mission. And I just, I, I don't know, in my brain, I was just like, next thing, this is it. You, you did your two years. Good job. And it, like my brain just shut it off basically. Mm -hmm. um, and compartmentalized it definitely yeah. because I never like I really I had I would talk about it with some people like you know I have such crazy stories you know burying an eight-year-old you know seeing that person shot you know feeding homeless you know homeless people staying in the house because I, I felt bad you know the red you know so many crazy stories that I would you know tell people if they asked about mission stories but I never thought about the crazy pressure that is put on you know, a 20 year old Ben Kronk yeah. to figure out how to get missionaries into a country. If you fail, all of a sudden, you know, these people can't hear the gospel is an amazing amount of pressure yeah. to put on somebody. And I wouldn't reflect on it because I was like, it's done. Yeah. And, um, you know, if Mormonism teaches you anything, it is compartmentalizing yeah. your emotions. And um, I think one of the biggest things, though, was, uh, that I suffered after my mission was independent thought. Um, I couldn't think for myself. I, I thought that I had to, like I relied on myself so much on that mission, but I thought it was the Holy Ghost. Yeah. I thought it was, you know, Christ leading me. It was, you know, divine and inspired and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it was, it was, it was me just trying to live and, uh, and coming back, I, it was hard for me to like actually think for myself. And luckily in Utah, you're, you're kind of like, or Utah state, you're like, okay, so now I date, this is what I do. And then I would date. And then, you know, I actually dated a girl freshman year and then dated her whenever I came back. Um, and, uh, and we, we thought we were going to, you know, get engaged and married, but then all of a sudden it was like over. Um, and, you know, we, we, we were moving towards that and I like moved back to Pittsburgh to um, earn money while she was doing like a study abroad and teaching English. 
And then we got together after that whole entire six months away and it was great. But then we both were like, we see our lives going in different places mm -hmm. and we're like, Oh, we need to stop this. Um, and, but I think a big part of it was like, I wasn't thinking for myself. I just, I was just going through the paces, whatever was happening. Um, I actually moved from Utah state because I, I thought that I was, we were going to move forward and I knew I could work in Pittsburgh, um, and actually like finish my school in there. Um, at Duquesne University and uh, not be in much school debt because my, my mother worked there. And, um, and I was like, oh, this is like the right thing to do. And then it was just like the thing to do because I just had no independent thought. Yeah. It was just like, oh, this is falling in my lap. So this is what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, but then after that broke up, that was the first time that I actually questioned God because I felt so right that this was the thing to pursue. Mm -hmm. And I was so angry um, that I actually did a study abroad and left for Italy for, you know, four months. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, and that was great. That was the first time I actually took off my garments. And I was like, you know what, I'm done. Um, I'm not going to go to church here. I'm going to take off, excuse me, I'm going to take off my garments just to see what God has to say. Because mm -hmm. I, you know, he told me one thing and then all of a sudden it's not happening. So I'm angry. And uh, took off my garments, didn't go to church. And my little sister was actually there at this with the study abroad with me. And um, and we're very good friends. Um, you know, our relationship suffered after leaving the church and everything. But um, at that time, we were we were best of friends. And uh, um, she was very worried about me. But you know, I didn't drink. Um, there was a you know, I had. A little bit of like a relationship with a girl there that we did a few things but wasn't anything crazy um but I like was this time was just like see how i feel i was still gonna like not go fully off the edge you know um and, and then i came back from those four months and i went straight to the bishop at the ysa ward and i was like look this is what happened i want to get back in the church i uh felt very adult guilty <laughs> you know i felt okay i did something wrong this isn't right um and so i went to my bishop and told him at the ysa ward and i had a disciplinary council and uh uh they disfellowshipped me for literally i think the smallest reason <laughs> smallest reasons um but i i did it um and that was like one of the first things that you know, they did the disciplinary council and they're like, okay, well, you can't say prayers in church. Um, you know, this, that, and the other, I can't remember exactly. Uh, and I was like, okay, is that it? And they're like, yeah. And then we'll just like meet every Sunday. And then every Sunday I was like, yeah, good reading scriptures, doing my thing. Um, and this was like 2012. So this is two years after my mission now. Sorry for jumping so ahead, but that's what you know, Mormon fit. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was like 2012. Um, and then, yeah. So I was, you know, did the disciplinary council and then they were like, yeah, you're fine. You can like say stuff back, like, you know, do, you know, prayers and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, actually, um, during that time, uh, I, uh, a little bit, a couple months after that, I um, was actually called to be um, stake uh, executive secretary, um, which was an interesting calling because I usually don't give it to a single person. Mm -hmm. um, 
but that was like 20, uh, about 2013, 2014. But in that year of 2013, leading up to that, um, I had a friend who was a little inactive and he sent me a Mormon stories podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, oh, you should check this out. Like, you know, see how you feel about it. Um, and so, and this was like an inactive friend that I was like trying to send the missionaries to okay. a couple of times. And he would be like, Hey, thanks for sending the missionaries again. I sent them away and I'm like, all right. Um, but yeah, so he sent me a Mormon stories podcast and it was, uh, it was intriguing. I was like, well, this is interesting. Um, oh, I skipped kind of like a whole entire thing, but basically, Do you, remember you know, the name of the, the interview. I don't remember the name of this interview exactly. Um, but it was about uh, Masons and like okay. the Masonry in the temple and that kind of stuff. One, um, I skipped uh, a one that kind of a similar trajectory as me when I was experimenting with not doing prayers and just things like that, seeing what would happen. Yeah. I came across that uh, Hans, maybe Hans Christensen oh, yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, which is funny. I actually, yeah, his book. Yeah, here. and that was a um, bit, that was, what is the last name? Uh, yeah. Hans Matson. Hans Matson. Hans Matson. Yeah. yeah. I came across him in like a random New York Times article or something like that. Oh, interesting. And that's yeah. what really kind of started getting some gears going too. Or else it's like, whoa, yeah. okay, like Yeah, he was definitely early thing. on that I listened to that, uh, mm -hmm. to his podcast too. Um, but the one thing I missed at USU is actually I was well, I wanted to be a, a CES teacher. Okay. Um so I after I came back from my mission, I was like, I love religion, I love everything about it mm -hmm. um and but i was like i need to learn more and so i took like islam uh the you know introduction to islam i took you know the class after that i can't remember what it was and then i took two courses in buddhism at utah state um i took a course in judaism um and i was just like trying to soak up everything mm -hmm. um and then whenever you know this girl and i thought we were gonna you know keep going i was like oh i'm gonna go back to pittsburgh can't really continue um these lessons because i would have to go to the institute um i got to the point where i was like student teaching basically i was like a, a ta or i don't know what they call it like i was shadowing somebody mm -hmm. um you know doing seminary <clears throat> classes um so i was like very much into everything um but yeah so then you know, fast forward after going back to Pittsburgh and all through Italy and that stuff, you know, my, my friend sent me this and I was actually a janitor at the time to make money. And I was, I just couldn't get enough of Mormon stories. Uh, I just listened to every single episode. And I was like, this is so intriguing of, you know, it's just very intriguing. And um, one time I remember, um, I remember exactly where i was in the building i was cleaning and the mormon stories episode just ended i can't remember which one it was but i was just like in shock just like this post ugh feeling and um and uh there was this thing in my head that goes mormonism is only stepping stones and i was like i didn't think that no. it just came to my head and um and so I, I held on to that for a while, but I was like, maybe like, I, may, I just made that up. Like, I'm just listening to all this anti-Mormon stuff. So maybe this is like not a good thought. Um, but so I was kind of in that state and I, I was very much a realist of just like, okay, so 
Joe Smith, not perfect. Brigham Young, definitely not perfect. Like no one's perfect, but like what what what's coming out of it is good. And I was I, you know, I actually taught at that time a temple prep class because I knew how I felt in the temple, and I was like, I don't want other people to feel the same way. I want to prepare them, you know, in the best way possible. Um, so I was very much of a realist in everything and trying to be as rational as possible with still maintaining my religion, you know. Um, but anyway, so it, it went on to, uh, um, sorry, I have some notes here in the thing. I just want to uh, make sure I'm saying it. Oh, so I, I took a class in college uh, in Pittsburgh of, you know, studying international relations, and it was strategic strategic deception and denial um, of like governments and stuff. And it was a, it's a very interesting book. You can get it on Amazon for really cheap. Um, but it, that was like one of the first times that I was like, oh, like people lie, like, like institutions lie. Yeah. Um, not just people, like institutions lie to maintain a look or to push an agenda. And it was such an intriguing class that I started realizing like one of the, the, the seed that was sown there was a, you know, corrupt in institutions exist mm -hmm. um, and I need to be on the lookout for them. And I thought I was like really cool, like thinking like, oh yeah, like the Bay of Pigs and, mm -hmm. you know, this, the Cuban Missile Crisis and all that kind of like stuff. They were, you know, planning on, you know, shooting a plane down, um, you know, with, with passengers and blaming it on, you know, mm -hmm. Russia and, you know, going to war. Like they, they were just, you know, the American government and CIA during that time in the Cold War was really trying to drum up stuff and it you know you just learned all about it in this class and it was really interesting um but then you know i was in that state of like but i gotta still be rational and then i was called to be stake executive secretary and um and that helped my faith a lot um you know i was around these i had meetings three days a week and then in person like two almost like pretty much four days a week i am talking to these really wise men like really nice guys um, that I have nothing wrong to like bad to say about them. Um, that they really were just trying to do what was best. Um, I saw a little bit of the internal stuff that was like oh, a little weird um, with like tithing and like organizing things and splitting awards and you know. And then you would hear about disciplinary councils and why and all this other stuff. And you're know, just like, this is interesting, and it just didn't make me feel good. And then all the while I uh, was, I started dating this non-Mormon girl um, and we really hit it off. Um, but I, I was really upfront with her. I was like, I, you know, I'm Mormon, I'm gonna stay Mormon. If you're interested, cool. If not, cool, we'll see how it goes. Um, and she was a great girl. Uh, she definitely had her own issues, but at the same time, you know, uh, I couldn't really like, like, you know, dealing with trying to join a religion and trying to join a really close family on top of like whatever else she was dealing with in her life was not great. And that relationship ended hard and crashed hard. Um, but I was very honest with her all about the things I was learning about Joseph Smith and all the things I was learning about this. And just being like, if you're still interested in doing this, you know, I'm trying to find a way through it. Um, you please come along with me. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, and uh but it just didn't happen um and then you know i uh i 
after that relationship ended, I was very upset. Um, but it pushed me into the church more being like, I actually need a Mormon girl. I need, uh, you know, at this time, you know, you're, you know, I came back from a mission. I'm not married yet. I'm 25. You know, I was like, I gotta get some engines going. So, you know, I joined mutual and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but I end up moving to Long Island. Um, and, uh, in Long Island for work, uh, I was like really happy to get out of Pittsburgh. Um, you know, there's just like too many memories there. And then I was like, this is my time to like really kind of like stay healthy in the church, but also like I need to like really, I'm outside of my family, I'm outside of everything else. I'm not post mission anymore. Like this is really just me. Um, and uh, then I got in, then, you know, I still listen to a lot of different things, but. Um, you know, one of the ones that really affected me was, uh, what's his name? Radio Free Mormon. Yeah. I don't know if you ever listened to that podcast. Uh, that one was really good. You know, a lot more Mormon stories. One, I read No Man Knows My History. I read um, Rough Stone Rolling again with like a more of a critical eye versus um, not, you know, I thought that, you know, I read it close to my, like right post-mission that I was like, well, oh, interesting. I don't know about this. Um but anyway, uh, then I got into Sam Harris. Um, he's a you know neuroscientist, and probably people have heard of him. But uh, and he had, he's a staunch atheist, and I went through a lot of like his ideas of free will and determinism, and I really kind of liked how I had this debate in my head. I love talking about this stuff, um, but at that time I was really vulnerable. I was just like my my shelf it had all these things on it, but I just wasn't looking at it. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I'm fine with all this shit on my shelf. I'm just not going to organize it. Um, and um, there's actually during that time, my friend and I, uh, the one that was actually inactive at the time, we took a trip to Palmyra, New York um, to go to the Sacred Grove. We were sitting at a bench in the Sacred Grove and both of us were like, what, the, what are we doing here? And we both prayed together like, you know, God, please, if, Joe Smith was actually right. Like, give us a sign. And nothing happened. And then two minutes later, like, the wind blew and the sun just, like, shone, like, just shined right on our faces. And then the wind, like, died down. And we both looked at each other. We're like, that was weird. Um, and we are both like, it was definitely the wind. Like, like it was windy. <laughs> like, it was, it was not a sign at all to what it was. Um, but anyway, uh, back in 2017, um, I was on Bumble, uh, and I met my wife on March 29th, March 17th. And at this point, I was pretty much out of the church in the sense of, uh, um, uh, like, I was going, but I just didn't believe anymore. And I was like, I was trying to find, I was like, okay, so now I'm going to have to find a girl that just knows Mormonism. That's just going to have to understand me that I'm just not fully in. But if she is like, I'll support her, but I just, I just have to find someone um, like that. Maybe we'll get married at Temple. Maybe we won't. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so I met her. And then once I met her, it was March 29th that we like actually talked over Bumble. Um, and this was actually in New York city at the time I was traveling in to see a friend and um, yeah, so we, we met March 29th. Our first date was April 3rd. And then our second date was April 5th. And I never believe people whenever they say, whenever you know, you know. Mm. And 
I was just like, oh shit, I know. <laughs> and she knew, um, luckily too. She's not Mormon at all. She doesn't know anything about Mormonism. She doesn't care too much about Mormonism apart from, from all my family's faithful and we're the two people that are out of it or I'm the one person out of it and she's associated with me. Um, and I realized that's what I need. I need someone that cares for me, for me, not because of this past that I had, how I grew up. She loves who I am now, which is a huge part of that is how I grew up Mormon. But it's exactly that little inspiration I had, I guess. But Mormonism is just stepping stones. I had my stepping stones um, and I was done whenever I was done. Um, I met her and I was like, oh, I need to tell my fan. Like it was, it was literally the second date that I knew this was going to be, this person was going to be my wife. And, um, and I was like, I got to take care of myself. I told my family about a month later, I was like, I'm done with the church. And they were completely shocked. They knew I was struggling, but they were just like, what? And then uh, a couple months later, we decided to move in together. So that was another shock on top of that, that, you know, I moved to New York City out of nowhere um, later that year. We got engaged in October. I moved to New York City in December. And then we lived together for about, uh, as an engaged couple for a year and a half. And then, you know, we got, we eloped in City Hall in New York City. Um, but that's how I finally left uh, the church was um, finally having something it was like what's funny about leaving the church is you should do it for yourself and i did do it for myself but i had such a motivation because i was in such a limbo i was just hanging out you know um and i was scared to tell my family that was like the biggest thing so i was scared to tell my family that a lot of my shelf items were involving joseph smith and treasure digging and all that kind of stuff um but but that's the stuff they don't care about. So they're like, why does it matter? You know, like, you know, we got to be together. Um, and so that was the hardest thing that I've ever done was tell my family. Yeah. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast, uh, your podcast, uh, Sam, the MMA fighter, I think. Yeah. Um, and Sarah. Sarah. Or um, it could be Willie. Well, it's probably Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. It could be. <laughs> um, she, uh, you know, any advice that I would give anyone leaving the church that has a family that's super faithful is uh, be transparent. Mm. You know, it's so scary, but like the one thing I do regret in all of this is not telling them my concerns earlier. I would mention it casually and be like, did you know this? And they're like, eh, eh, eh. but like, it wasn't like, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Like, I, I don't know how long I can do this. I'm thinking about leaving. Like I, there was none of that kind of talk and then I just dropped a hammer on him and it did not go well yeah I wanted yeah. to ask about that because you know you started off very early like you know growing up with no empty chairs so I just assumed it was going to be a very tough conversation you know yeah yeah it was really tough um you know my mom actually was uh not home at the time and I told my dad first and he's like you have to call your mom right away and um I told her over the phone and she hung up on me. You know, my sisters were so angry. Um, and one thing that, one one book that I read before I left the church and before, like after that other relationship and things, um, was a book called uh, The Mastery of Love, uh, which I recommend to everyone. And it talks about love in general. And it's pretty much every thought 
that everyone has about love, but it's just put into a book. And it's very compassionate. And one thing that I learned about love from that book is keeping love separate from every other emotion. Um, you know, some people will say, well, I'm so angry because I love you. Um, I'm so sad about your actions just because I love you. It's like, no, you're angry because you're angry. You're sad because you're sad. Love has to stay pure. Um, and, you know, and I think it's a lot healthier to talk about your emotions that way. Like just to say that, you know, I'm angry because I'm angry. Um, I, I'm, I'm fearful because I'm fearful. Um, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm afraid for you because I love you. It's like, no, you're afraid for me because you don't, you're, it's exactly that. You're just afraid mm -hmm. keep love pure. And um, that's one thing that, that Mormonism loves to do is, is paste love on every emotion and it justifies every action justifies all this kind of stuff. And, and it's, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, and whenever, you know, the way that my family reacted, it was a lot of like, you know, anger and sadness and, and they were very scared. You know, it's one of those things that like, you're not Mormon anymore. And my dad was like, you know, like, I don't just don't want you to like OD on heroin one day. And I'm yeah. like, why would I do heroin? Like, like it just, yeah. just not like, I didn't even think about doing heroin. Thanks for putting it in my head. I didn't even think about doing heroin. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you leave apparently, you know, that's why Mormons get married early um, all the time is because, you know, human beings that don't have religion, they have to figure each other out. They have to understand what they love about each other and figure how they, you know, would jive. Mormons are like, okay, so you're Mormon. So you have, you know, I know 75% of what your beliefs are. And if a decision comes up, I know what decision you're going to make. Um, you know, Mormons, you can do that a lot earlier. Um, so it's the same thing whenever you leave, you know, they assume a lot more about you and your decisions. And then all of a sudden you don't have that label anymore. It's like, oh, you, you're going to do crack on the side of the road. It's like, no, I'm just probably going to watch a rated R movie, yeah. you know? <laughs> so um, is your guys' relationship still kind of fraught because of that? Or is there well, at least some understanding? Um, I'll, yeah, I'll give a little tidbit of how our relationship is now. Is My mom told me a couple months ago, whenever Mary Catherine and I visit, um, I can bring coffee with me and make it in the morning at the house yeah which is yeah, a step a big, yeah. yeah it only took three close to three years but uh but yeah so may of 2017 to probably about uh at last, yeah november of 2019 she was like you know you can bring coffee if you want to here um and i do <laughs> yeah well, that, that's good yeah you know because like we always talk about like that's probably the greatest fears just you know how are my parents gonna react how are my close friends gonna react i'm gonna lose all this community that's pretty awesome yeah yeah pretty yeah awesome. no i i have to respect them a lot for you know i um the first thing i told them was like i'll still go to church with you uh sacrament meetings that's it because it was such a family affair that i felt bad that i would tear that away from them yeah like, and Mary Catherine, I told her whenever we were dating, like whenever we go back on Sundays, like this is what I told my family. And she was more than happy to, yeah, sure. Why not? Like, I don't, sure. It might be cool to see what happens there. And just so happens every su Sunday was fast Sunday. So it was always entertaining. Uh, uh, and especially for her, she was yeah, just like, what? what? 
<laughs> why are they having kids go up there <laughs> yeah or like you know someone saying like we shouldn't be embarrassed to be white and i'm like oh this yeah. is this like, is oh. interesting <laughs> that was like one of the sundays that my dad was like i don't know if i could do this anymore and i'm like yeah me neither but uh yeah it was a. Uh, yeah, so, so that was one of the first things that like I really tried to ease them off. It's just like, you know, you know, I just set up boundaries. So it's like, look, I'll go church with you Sundays um, for second meeting and that's it. Um, and they like were like, okay. And they just, you know, it was probably gave them false hope in some ways. And it's probably not the greatest, but it wasn't like a complete Band-Aid ripoff. So, um, yeah, you know, there just has to be... A, the, whenever you leave the church, you have to be the bigger person, mm. no matter what. You have to be the bigger person, the more compassionate person. You have to be, and not because you're trying to shove it in their face, because you actually want to be. Um, and that was something that I had to really, really try to do and not, like, you know, scream to, mm. you know. You know, and even after I left, I was like, Oh yeah, I still believe in God and Jesus Christ. And then, you know, a month later I'm like, why did I say that? I actually don't. Yeah. Like I I you know, the God and Jesus Christ that I know is the one that Joe Smith told me about that has a body. You know, like I don't. I don't know. I don't care either. <laughs> yeah. You're looking at your notes. So before I yeah. ask anything, I wanted to like are you about to go into something else i don't want to cut you off you're no you can ask me whatever i have like uh the rest of my shelf items i can just list off but you know the things that annoy me about mormonism um, <laughs> but that's pretty much all i have yeah, left. i don't know if i want to focus on shelf items anymore just because we're yeah. getting pretty positive here with your advice no, I, like what, I like what you're saying um about just being the bigger person having that compassion i think that is um good advice um so kind of as we're closing, if you have any further advice, I would love to hear it. Um, I think, you know, for me, I, I think I'm unique in the sense that uh, I have a family that just doesn't care about the history. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, talking and just trying to say, you know, these are my concerns and this is what the reason why you just have to let go of the idea that people are going to ask you that mm -hmm. and let go of the idea that, you know, um, I think I was listening to, I think it might've been Sam Harris that was talking about annoying spiritual people oh. where it's like, they do the, like the Camino or Camino in uh, Spain. Um, and they like come back or like someone does ayahuasca for the first time and they're like, you have to do it. Or like you had like, you know, people like, you know, they have these spiritual experiences and leaving Mormonism is kind of like that you know, you finally make an independent decision. You finally know what it's like to like, you know, live for the first time for yourself and not, you know, dedicate your whole entire life to somebody that probably is a con artist mm -hmm. and you feel freed and you just want to scream it to the rooftops and you want to just like tell your family that they're like, this is everything that just has burdened me. And now I'm like, just going to dish it off to you. You have to resist that feeling. It's just not worth it. Just go and live your life and enjoy it. I've never been happier in my life. Like I, my wife is my best friend and we still shoot on Mormons just for fun sometimes. And, you know, but at the same time, like we're very respectful around my family. You know, we, we really try to honor them. You know, I have nieces and nephews 
And my only hope is that they know where to turn to me whenever uh, they might have a question in the future, because they definitely will. The age of the internet just cracked open transparency, whether the church likes it or not. And um, they're going to have questions. And, uh, and I hope that they know that they can come to me. And that's more of what I think about now is that I'm not here to shove in people's faces. I hardly talk about it. Like, it, you know, I had to write these notes down because I was like, I never actually laid out my whole entire life and my progression out of the church. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think it, most importantly is just, uh, you know, it's just being compassionate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. You know, and I like to end on a positive note whenever it's possible. Yeah. So I think we'll, we'll end it here, Benjamin, but I really enjoyed talking with you. This is the longest episode to date. Yeah. Sorry for no, everyone no, so who's listening you to have, it. You have that honor. Um, yeah, you're a very sharp dude, very, very, very intelligent guy. I like a lot of the points that you brought up. And Thanks. I appreciate you it. Know, if you ever want to talk outside of the podcast, I'd be yeah, more than happy fun. to. Shoot you a text. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. But um, yeah, that's that was really good advice. So um, I'll definitely have to shoot Sarah a message and let her know. Yeah, stay yeah. Tuned. Or if she listens to it. Yeah, stay um, tuned for so this. The one thing I want to do last is just recommend a few books yeah, for absolutely. fun. Um, so yeah, so The Truth Seeking One with Hans Mat- Matson. Um, it's a, you know, they were high ranking officials in, I think in Sweden um, that uh, basically were like, I have a lot of questions and no one answered them. And they wrote a book called Truth Seeking and it's really important. Um, the one book that helped me on my mission, so anyone Mormon that is still gonna go on a mission listening, I wanna include you too, is uh, this We Believe book. It's actually really a good resource for everything Mormon. Um, you just go into it and I just opened up to pre-mortal life and then it tells you literally every single scripture and every single prophet that talked about pre-mortal life and little sections of their talks and stuff it's great so including the Mormons still in that one um lying by Sam Harris it's only it's a real thin book it's like I think 80 some pages um it's one of the most important books I ever read about honesty and being transparent. Um, one of the biggest questions in there is, you know, does this dress make me look fat? Is actually not the question. The question is, you know, uh, does will you still love me? Mm. You know, whenever I'm fat in this dress. And so like answering the bigger question is probably more of the answer people are seeking versus does this dress make me look fat? And it's like, it really, I think integrity and honesty is the two principles that I care most about. And that book helped it. Um, and this is this one's for you, and I can send it to you. Oh. But I know you're a Pratt fan. Yeah, Are, yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever read this book, Key to the Science of Theology? No. It is nuts. <laughs> it is Parley P. Pratt, probably on a drunken rage, talking about everything under the sun about the science of theology and how the Western world gave up science. Like there's there's a chapter in here about dreams the world of spirits, ghosts, the origin of the universe, the destiny of the universe, and the rise and progress, decline and loss of the science of theology among the Jews. And it is yeah. <laughs> it is an entertaining book. I read it as if it was like gospel and I thought I was the coolest person ever. And I dove into it knowing that I was talking to you. And I was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's definitely way to put it, man. I'd love to 
peep your library. It seems like you've got a pretty expansive. Yeah. I do have a hefty, hefty, hefty library. A lot of people that don't know I'm Mormon come over and be like, what the hell is going on in your bookshelf? Yeah. That's awesome, man. But yeah, definitely, you know, don't be a stranger. I'd love to chat with you some more. Now I'm Thanks, Devin. Enjoyed this and yeah, you hit a lot of points that people are really going to enjoy. So I, can't I appreciate that. All right, but yeah, you have a good night, man. All I'll right. talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.